Zakawani, the flying winger. Oh, goodness me! He doesn't mean anybody, Steve Zakawani! Steve Zakawani was never fun to stick up against. Was it for Zakawani? None of this is possible. It's Steve! It's Steve! <laughs> this is so weird. Steve Zakawani! And what's up, everyone? It's Steve Zakawani here. Welcome to another episode of Winging It with Zakawani. Um, lots for you on the show today. I'll be joined by Matt Johnson, or MJ, as I call him. Um, play-by-play radio voice, sometimes TV, for the Sounders, a guy who's been around here such a long time. We're going to recap the heartbreaking loss away to LAFC just this past Sunday, and we'll preview and look forward to the game against Columbus Crew, try to have some optimism heading into the weekend, and of course, as always, there's three things on my mind, and I'll get to those, but there's really nowhere else to begin other than the game um, this weekend. Going into the game against LAFC, I was a little bit worried from the perspective of that attacking group has been so deadly this season and they've done it away from home. With our kind of makeshift backline, there was a couple of guys suffering injuries. Chad Marshall going into the game wasn't 100%. Roman was touch and go. Waylon Francis isn't here to kind of give Nuhu that competition you want. And I just felt with Rossi, Urena, I thought Latif Blessing would play from the start. He didn't. But of course, Carlos Vela. I just felt if this is a game where you just lose 4-0, 5-0, one of those games, you just accept it. They're that kind of team. The Sounders completely proved me wrong. Because that first 20 to 25 minutes, the Sounders were extremely comfortable. Not just comfortable, extremely comfortable. To the point where, after 25 minutes, apart from the time, you know, Ozzy hit him a couple of times, I didn't really see Carlos Vela on the screen. Rossi was a non-factor. Urena was in Kim and Gustav's pocket. The Sounders were comfortable. And despite not creating out-and-out chances, had the better of the play attacking-wise as well. And that was a team that is still missing some guys who, when they're healthy, are going to help this team. They took the sting out of anything LAFC wanted to do. An attacking group that potent, that deadly, coming home for the home opener in front of Magic Johnson and Will Ferrell and their support section and their fans, and it's a national TV game. If it was an attacking, gold fest, a gold bonanza, I would not have been surprised. But the Sounders did what they were supposed to do, and that is to take the sting out of anything LAFC wanted to do. If LAFC scores in the first five minutes, it's going to be a long afternoon. That's not what happened. There were no chances. They never came close. Seattle was always, always in control. Lesser teams would have gone there and would have been blown out, absolutely, without question. Because that was an, a great attacking group that was trying, but it was just held at bay by a very good, solid defensive plan, defensive performance by the Sounders team that also allowed room to catch LAFC on the counterattack, just didn't really capitalize out of that. Throughout the whole game, Stefan Fry had to make the save on Urena, I think it was, 
in the second half. Rossi played him in. He got him behind, which will happen. And Stefan Fry did what Stefan Fry does. Came out, stayed big, made a save down low. And you live to fight another day. Aside from that, when I think of the chances, there was Alex Rodan in the first half, cleared off the line by LAFC. There was Clint Dempsey from Leardam's Cross, took a great first touch, tried to bend it into the top corner, gets it just over the crossbar. How many times have you seen Clint just put that in the back of the net? So that's a great chance. Nico had one way, tried to get his head on it. If he was maybe three, four inches taller, would have been a great chance, but just couldn't quite get there. It was a dangerous ball into the box. And the best chance of the game, which no one's really talked about, was Gustav Svensson. I don't know if he fouled Tyler Miller or not. It wasn't called. And I think Gustav was as surprised as anyone that the ball dropped to him inside the six-yard box and he kind of just poked at it and it was easily cleared. I think if he'd been prepared for that moment, he had time to take a touch and smash that ball into the back of the net. But all these near misses and chances, they all fell Seattle's way, not LAFC's way. And then, of course the 93rd minute comes along. And not a great free kick by any means. It's a mistake by Stefan Fry and LAFC wins. Now, the last person that owes anybody any kind of apology is Stefan Fry. Not only has he made game-changing saves, he's made game-saving saves so many times in the years he's been here. Of course, there's the save, which we all know. But there's been so many. And that's the harsh reality of being a goalkeeper. I can think off the top of my head right now of a time when Nico Lodero lost the ball, when Clint Dempsey lost the ball, when Osvaldo Alonso lost the ball, when Leidam lost the ball. Game goes on. Because you can make mistakes as an outfield player all day long. But being a goalkeeper, you make one mistake, it's in the back of the net, three points gone, you become... The villain. So it happens. And that's the difference between a very good point on the road and the defeat that the sound is now faced. This game alone, forget the season as a whole, we'll get to that. This game alone is not reason at all for alarm, panic, or concern. This game alone. Because 95%, I want to say 99 percent of fans who you know want to blow this thing up or that was just unacceptable all this and that if Stephen Fry catches that free kick and the game ends nil nil you're saying that's three games unbeaten we've held the league's most potent attacking group scoreless we're trending upwards we're on the right path and then the mistake happens and it's a complete 180 I don't think the team deserved that after that game. If you watched the game, defended well, attacked well, were in control, had chances to win, should have left there with a point comfortably, then come back home to another home game, a chance to go four unbeaten, two wins, two draws. It was all looking up. So I don't think that goal should change perspective of the team based on that game. The season as a whole, that's another thing, what it means for the season, and we will get to that. But I do feel this past weekend... There were a lot more positives than negatives, way more. And that has to be taken into account. This is sports. It's a thin line between winning and losing. And the Sounders, unfortunately, 
fell on the wrong side of that line this weekend. A couple of your questions before we move on. If the Sounders had not suffered any injuries, where do you think they would be in the standings? Great question. It's tough to say because no one knows. I don't predict the future. I don't know. But they would not have lost to LAFC in the opening game, had enough chances with a B squad that was preparing for the Champions League. I think it's a team that probably could have won in Kansas and a team that definitely would have held on um, this weekend or probably won if LA played the same way and Seattle played the same way. You just have everyone at 100% and never had any injuries. I think you're talking five, six, seven more points than what the team has now, which makes a big difference. So the injuries have played a part just because they've come against very, very, very key players. When we return, I will be joined by MJ, Matt Johnson, Stretch. One of the voices of the Sounders will be talking about this past weekend's game, the Columbus Crew game, and also some of his plans this summer, which include a trip to Russia to watch the World Cup. Stay tuned. This is Winging It with Zach Wally. Long throw, looking for Gustav Svensson, headed straight up in the air. Rodon looks to cut it back in. There's the whistle. There's the final. Seattle heartbroken instead of any with a nil-nil draw. And going 1-0-2 in their last three, they give up a late one to Simone's blast from distance. And Stephen Fry is just devastated on the pitch. And welcome back to Winging It with Zakawani. And I'm very happy to say that I'm now joined by my good friend, a man who really needs no introduction. Stop it. Some know him as Stretch. Some call him formerly Matt Johnson. I call him MJ, which is a big honor because MJ is Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson, and now Matt Johnson. And Matthew Johnson. <laughs> well, I didn't know it was an honor. It's just my name, but you always call me MJ and I always go, oh, Steve's here. I, I hear somebody. Hi, Steve. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me on. I, no, of course. I kind of immediately thought, you know, who canceled? But I can deal with it. I just, I love chatting football with you, obviously. We always yeah. have a blast on the road and yeah. sharing yeah. funny stories we can't talk about here. So it's good to see you. Good to see you, Stephen. It's good to see you. And I call you Stephen quite often. I know you do. Uh, you're the only one who does that, actually, which I allow. Um, Amen. So, no, let's, let's start right there, this last um, road trip. Before we get to the game, um, you were there for the opening of this new stadium. Yeah. So tell us just about the stadium itself your impressions of that and kind of the whole spectacle with Will Ferrell with the Falcons and yeah. Magic Johnson was there. It was a pretty big deal. Yeah, it, it was a big deal. I think it was a massive deal for the city of Los Angeles, which you got to put that in perspective, first of all, because they have so much going on besides the glitz and glamour. Yeah. They have the Lakers. They have the Kings. They have a couple football teams, you know. So for them to recognize it as a big deal, I was like, Wow, that's right. Yeah. That's right. It's a big deal. The city's making an MLS team opening stadium a big deal. And then for MLS, I think it's huge. The yeah. bar's been raised. Not every soccer-specific stadium moving forward has to cost $350 million. But look at what it is. It's in the middle of the city, which, I, which one, I'm a huge fan of. Mm -hmm. and, and not to take shots, but when you have to make your customer, your fan, drive 20, 30 minutes, 40 minutes out of downtown – you have to make them work. It's tough. It's, it's flat out tough. So it's downtown, and it's gorgeous. 
Steve, it, it had everything. It yeah. had it, the clubs had clubs. Uh, you know, the <laughs> suites had suites. You had a pass for this, a pass for that. But everything, I always use the word Gucci. Everything was top end. And it was L.A. And they did it right. The, the turf, down to the turf. I haven't heard from any players, but I want to get, you know, I want to hear their feedback mm-hmm. because the turf was like a putting green. It was immaculate. Really? It, the, the, the ball seemed to just fly across the surface. And, you know, that's what you guys want, yeah. right? You yeah. know, they watered yeah. it down and, and uh, it, it looked like it played well. It looked like it played fair. But the building's gorgeous. It was easy to get to. And it was a spectacle. And it was yeah. fun to be there. Yeah. How was the on TV it came across really well, but being there, how was the atmosphere? Like, was it as loud as it? No, I didn't think so. No, no. I I just talked about that upstairs a minute ago. I I didn't think it was their supporters group. It's really cool. Right. Right. Three, two, five, two, that equals 12, the 12th man. All those seats are $20. You know, they thought about the fans first Mm -hmm. and, and they were genuine about it. So that whole back end, it was really cool from the rest of the crowd. I mean, they had, they had, I think, first game sound, mm. right? I, I'm kind of interested to see what kind of picks up, p- picks up for them. Um, you know, they've been on the road six times, so it was the first yeah. time for fans to, what kind of traditions will they pick up? You know, yeah. boom, boom, clap for them. What, what are they going to pick up right. down there? I thought 70%, you know, if we just say those are 30 down there, the 70%, it wasn't that loud to me. Okay. And, um, but I love the fact that what they're talking about, 34-degree angles upstairs, Every seat, you're right on top of the pitch. It's like Craven Cottage. It's mm. it's like a European atmosphere yeah. where you're just right on top Those of the field, the yeah. right? And yeah. so everybody's involved. Yeah. You know, you can't. You're not watching a peanut guy. You're not watching <laughs> the video board or nothing. You're watching the match, yeah. which which I'm into. The match. Let's get there. I'm um, going into it before the game. Everything. What kind of game did you expect you might see, and did it go according to that? Well, I thought I thought after our opener versus LA, which they took it to us the first yeah. twenty minutes, yeah. and then if you go back and look from fifty minutes on, Seattle should have won. Yes, I, I think they they should have had one goal, if not two. Yes. So, but that doesn't count, right? What mm-hmm. you and I think, yeah. and and if it's yeah. not executed, it's it doesn't count. So, um, I know Brian had the guys saying, "All right, be ready for the first fifteen minutes." I thought the match for Seattle went. Perfect. I, agree. I thought it went perfect, perfectly executed plan. Uh, and then he told me, excuse me, Brian told me the day before, don't be afraid to attack. Don't be afraid to open up. Yeah. And the Sounders moved forward. Yeah. Y- you know, they were physical. They were physical with Bella and Rossi. And that's, that's what they needed to do. Um, this is the highest scoring team going into the weekend for 90 minutes, right? Yeah. 2.67 goals yeah. were more than NYCFC and Atlanta. And so what they do, they clog the middle. The middle was open in our opener. Yes. Maybe not open, but maybe the first 15, 20 minutes, it was wide open. Hence Rossi's beautiful goal in the 11th. Yeah. They didn't do that. I, I still think, and I follow your lead on this quietly. I don't want to give you all the credit <laughs> on this, but uh, Ozzy Alonso's the man. Yeah. Ozzy Alonso, to me, hasn't slowed down. And with him in the lineup, 22 minutes in Kansas City, uh, and then I think, what, 75-ish versus Minnesota. Yep. You just looked that he bossed the field, yeah. right? Yeah. When, when players come up to Ozzy Alonso, they know who they're going against. Yeah. Here, here comes that Cuban that's going to come yeah. and just give yeah. me the kibosh, <laughs> right? I love watching it. And you've made me appreciate that. Yeah. And I think Sounder fans, obviously, mm-hmm. when he's out, you're like, mm, what are we missing? 
I think we don't know what we're missing until he's back in. Absolutely. And, and that's what showed Sunday. He bossed it with Roldan, yeah. and, and that's what it was. We held them scoreless. You know, if you take away Simon's goal, and again, yeah. we can't, mm-hmm. but it's nil-nil. We held the top offense in the league at their home on a home opener scoreless. Yeah. And, and it was Ozzy and Roldan along with the back four. Did you get a chance, I don't know if you did or not, to go into the locker room after the game? I did. Um, I'm going to guess what it was because I'm assuming as a player, if I was there and lost a game like that, but what was the mood and did you talk to anyone? What did you, what vibe did you get from the guy? It was, it was, you were there. Mm -hmm. It was as quiet as the final in Toronto. It was such a bummer. You know, you're coming away. These road games, we were talking about it earlier this morning. The road games, you got to come away with a point. You got to win your home games in the road games for a team that's beat up. Yeah. This team's beat up. This this team's missing starters, yeah. not just role guys yeah. uh, like Waylon Francis and, and maybe Harry Ship, but they're missing starters. So coming away with a point is massive. Yeah. Having really a superstar, because I think we should start be talking about Stefan Fry as a superstar goalie in this league. Mm-hmm. I think he's in the top three, and he has been yeah. the last couple of years. That doesn't happen. He saves more games, not just shots. He saves more games for this team than he loses and for uh, that circumstance, the, the locker room was gutted, absolutely gutted, quiet, mumbling. And, and I mean mumbling as in just kind of quiet yeah. little conversations in the corner. And, and, of course, the leaders, Christian Roldan and Stefan Fry spoke. So <laughs> yeah. that's what you have. Sometimes I almost, I almost used to think as a player, I'd rather just look. We came here and we lose 4-0. Look, after 45 minutes, I know we're not going to win today. We're yeah. going to get beat. Yeah. Hey, on to the next one. But yeah. when you lose in that way with the last kick of the game after doing so well, it takes a lot out of you. I do want to come back to what you said. You said sometimes it was Vardo Alonso. We don't know what we're missing until he's back and we see him. Mm-hmm. Do you think that might also be true with Jordan Morris? And I say that because this. He may not have scored a lot of goals last year, but he gave us so many options in just how we could attack. You know, as you're asking me that, I'm going through my mind, going through my mind, and then I thought, you and I were in Tucson. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my Lord. He looks good. He's so fast. Yeah. I forgot how fast he was. At Starfire in February, he went through three guys. And I said, and I don't remember who was next to me, Danny Jackson. I think it was Danny Jackson was next to me. And I went, oh, my Lord. That is a whole different, not only a different speed, but it was, to me, it was a different Jordan Morris. I thought he was, and I was touting him as, all right, the two goals last year, don't even think about it. It'll be it'll be kind of what Jossie Zardes, if we get to yeah. Columbus conversation, has done this year. I'm not into sophomore slumps for whatever reason. He had injury at the beginning of the year, injury at the la- end of the year, uh, and they were significant. And I thought, wow, yeah. he's turning it on. The, the a couple games he bossed around yeah. uh, in, in Tucson, Sacramento, yeah, um, Portland. Excuse me, when we went to Sacramento, yeah, yeah. yeah. The game I thought, against Portland he, he was the man of the match, yeah. right? A couple yeah. of different times. Yeah. So again, yeah, you. But you can't recreate speed in your mind, you know, speed you see, yeah. and, and it, it was there. And, and then, you you know, he had surgery March 14th. It's over, yeah. right? So you have to kind of move on yeah. and, and say that's not an option because of the significance of the injury. But, man, he had a great training camp. Yeah. Great training I, camp. I, I'm with you there. Um, you touched on Columbus. Let's talk about that briefly for this. Um, it's the next game this coming weekend. How much of, about them did you know or – 
and I know what Brian Schmetz will most likely say is going into this weekend, it's got to be about us. We just got to, we know what we need to do. But kind of your preview, the MJ preview of the upcoming game. <laughs> <laughs> There's your segment. We need a sponsor, the MJ preview. Uh, I, I, I go to that. I go to that. It is about us. It's yeah. a home game uh, in front of 40,000. Uh, it's massive match. Brian will never say it's a must win until uh, November. Yeah. But your home matches, especially after a gut wrenching, yeah. you know, heartbreaker one nil on the road where you should have had a point. You should have had a point last week, and that just yeah. feels better, right? Yeah. And you're tied with San Jose, and you're moving up, and then three points uh, gets you to eight, and all of a yeah. sudden you're jumping over teams. But uh, Columbus had a hot start. We'll go to Columbus. They had a hard, hot hot start. They just broke a four-game winless streak last week, mm-hmm. right? So they settled back down to earth. And we were talking earlier upstairs about Jossie Zardes. His, how he was set up, the passes that were going to Zardes early this year were top of the league material, yes. right? He was finishing, don't get me wrong, but some of the, the, the pass he got versus Toronto, and I you know, that. you watch all this stuff, yeah. the yeah. passes and the services he was getting. Now, he finished, yeah. right? Those passes haven't been coming the last couple of games. Now, one of my favorite players, Iguain, comes to town, and he's, I love watching him because he demands the ball. Yeah. He looks at people. The Argentine looks, looks at people, <laughs> demands the ball, and then he spreads it around, right? He has the ball. Watch him Saturday. He has the ball. Not you, but the people listening. He has the ball half a second to a second and a half, and he get rid, he's going to get rid of it. He's not going to yeah. break anybody down, but he's going to send people forward. I love watching him. He'll be dangerous till he leaves the league. And then they send their outside backs. Harrison Offal, I mean, these guys will just fly up and down the right and left-hand side. Here, I, I, I'm confident about three points. Uh, yeah. They're just not a travel team. Columbus mm-hmm. just doesn't. They don't win much on the road, and, and that's just been proven the last few years. They're just... I hate to say vanilla because then you get hate mail, but on the road, right? They're just, they are what they are. They're an MLS team that's, that's below 500 on the road. So it's, it's, you get three points. Yeah. Yeah. Um, teams typically don't travel well in MLS anyway. So I do tend to side with you on that. And speaking of travel, the U.S. national team won't be in Russia this summer. Isn't that crazy as we get closer? Yeah. Isn't that crazy to say? World Cup fever hasn't hit me. No. It really hasn't. Normally at this time of year, I'd be really looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. It hasn't hit me. But I do know someone who's going to be there. Oh, yeah? And this is going to be your, how many World Cups? Seven. This is your seventh Seventh. I went when I was just a little kid. I was six years old in 1994. (laughs) Yeah, right. That was me. Says my bald spot. Uh, (laughs) No, we started in 94, and my brother, the smarter one of the the two brothers, looks to me as we're flying home on Monday, and I remember the shape I was in Monday, Morty coming home, and he goes, hey. And I'm like, what, 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 flying home. And I said, what? He goes, why don't we do this every four years? And that was as easy as it gets. And so we went U.S. and France and Korea. We went to Korea. We went to Korea. It was maybe my favorite. Went yeah. to 11 matches in 11 days. Oh, man. All face value got in, went to when Spain was just talk, taken yeah. off. We saw Spain play. And yeah. I don't want to go through individual matches and yeah. bore the heck out of people because. Right. No, but so that's Korea. That's Germany. Germany. South Africa. Yes, sir. And then Brazil. Brazil and yep. this will be Russia. And Russia. So we go for about two weeks. You know, 12 days to two weeks and, and go see as many matches as we can. Go see history. Go see museums. Mm-hmm. Uh, so each country is just, you know, it's you, very fun. You won't be watching the U.S., but 
Is there any team or player that you're looking forward to maybe seeing when you're done? Well, I got to be honest with you to steal your words. I don't have the fever yet, even though we're going, we're leaving from New York. We play the Red Bulls on the 14th and then we, we head to Russia, you know, Chile, us, the Netherlands and Italy, right? So that's 12 matches that, that no offense to, no offense to a match of, of who, um, Portugal versus Morocco. That's some bad ones. Okay, yeah. you know, Iran yeah. versus whoever. I saw Iran play in, in 98 versus U.S. It was the same group, and oh, it was man. cool to chat with those folks. I mean, it was crazy to mingle with other people from all these other countries, but you're missing 12 cool matches. Yeah. So I don't have – I when I look at you and say, boy, I don't know. We're going to go see Germany play. We Good. have tickets already. We're going to hopefully see – we have two t- uh, tickets to Sweden twice, so love to see Gustav Svensson involved. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I guess it would be picking off the Sounders and, and watching them play. But I don't have – Without the U.S. It's tough, yeah. You know, without, yeah. I mean, England, I guess, go watch England play. That's always fun because of the crowd. And, yeah, and, and the, and the crowd's good, yeah. The, you know, so. I'll give you that. Um, but just going to St. Petersburg and going to Moscow, this will be the second time I've been to Moscow, going to Sochi, uh, getting around on subways and trains and see if, how we're, how we're going to do that. I think just a <laughs> question mark of, uh, you know, point. You know, <laughs> you point at signs and you go, you know, because I, I don't have much uh, Russian. Your, yeah, I was going to say, how is your Russian? Close to zero. <laughs> Close to zero. <laughs> we were in Moscow. We were lucky enough to go to the Champions League game, uh, Man U versus Chelsea. Yeah, 2008. Went, yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah. Eight. Good for you. Yeah. I was going to say seven or nine. Went to so penalties John Terry went, missed. Yep, that one. Yep. yep. Nicholas yep. Anelka. Yeah. Uh, yep. And, and Chris, I got tickets. Chris Chano scored. I believe so. Yeah, the header. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I want to say Lampard put a, yeah. either a set piece or something in. Yeah. Anyways, we were in Man U's section. Uh-huh. I got tickets from at Old Trafford three days before. Oh, and so it was historic. But to get around Moscow, the, the, the subway system's amazing. Most of the younger people speak some sort of English. But we're going to go east a little bit. So we're going to see, you know, <laughs> it's like in Brazil. You can kind of get by Spanish, and then it all turns to Portuguese. Goes, right? and, and you're just... It's no good, man. It's I no love good. it. This, yeah. this is going to be the must-follow um, Twitter feed this summer for me. So <laughs> I, I, I'm going to make sure I set my notifications. <laughs> well, I hope not to disappoint. Hey, I want to. I want to mention before we go because yeah. I, I feel like we're wrapping up. <laughs> I I just have this feeling that you're like, all right, MJ, we're done with you. I got to move on. I want to bring up Kim Kihi. Yeah. Because we didn't bring him up talking mm-hmm. about LA. And I fell into it. I have to apologize because you get in this, you turn into a media member, the Roman Torres watch. So I'm watching him the whole time, you know, and then he goes over to have a conversation with Gonzalo Pineda and Brian Schmetzer. And the way Brian walked away, you could tell Roman's out. And then he moved away from the 11. Kim Kee-hee showed me that we aren't in, in horrible shape when Roman Torres goes to the World Cup. Yeah. That, that he and Svensson, their performance, they look comfortable. And Kim Kihi had no problem passing the ball, yeah. uh, knocking heads. He had a couple tackles, yeah. not close. You know, it was out about midfield. He need drop people. Uh, so I love the physicality of it all. But he looked, uh, he looked comfortable. Yeah. And if it wasn't Svensson and Marshall comes back and Svensson moves up next to Christian Roldan or Ozzy, whatever – uh, I was really impressed with his performance. And it's just, I just had to get that in. I can tell. I had to get it in. Because <laughs> I, I was questioning. Yeah. I was, because seeing him in practice, he seemed to force some balls and mm-hmm. force things up the middle. And, and then it's Gustav Svensson, Kim Kihi versus. Against, against that attack. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Vela and, and yeah. Rossi and, yeah. and Urania, who yeah. is sneaky fast He's with his five assists. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought he did really well. So. Yeah. 
That's off my chest. You're the man for this. So I'm a Sounders fan. I'm in depression. It's been a bad start to the season. I just don't feel good. I need you to spin it and tell me why I should be optimistic. Okay, one, I'm not going to spin it <laughs> because this is what I believe. Good. I've never seen a Sounders team this snake bit with injuries, yeah. right? And the wild thing is, is they're coming on, on the training, on the training yeah. pitch, right? Harry Ship goes down at training. Um, uh, uh, Lear Dom goes down with an ankle. Kim Kee-hee goes down with a calf in training. Uh, Marshall uh, had a neck sprain or a neck stinger last week at training. These are bizarre to me. Yeah. These are bizarre. I, I still think that if you get our starting 11 and this team, if we have a starting 11 that's healthy, it's going to go to 14 or 15. And the competition yeah. at training uh, all of a sudden, it's Alex Roldan. It's not Bawana. It's not Wingo. All of a sudden, that's going to raise their game. Yeah. I still think, uh, I still think by June and July we'll be fine. No. And I think, okay, not to spin it, but I think it's going to it's going to be up until the World Cup that we're going to be fighting these injuries. We're going to be fighting a, a normal starting yeah. eleven rotating into fourteen. So, you know, it's not a sprint, my friend. You know that better than any Absolutely. of us. But but come July first. I think we're all right. I think right now, I don't want to say hang on time. I think it's win your home games, get a point every other game on the road. You know, that sounds yeah. like, oh, you're talking about losing on the road. Well, MLS is funky. You you're don't win do on the road. Yeah. You're not going to win yeah. on the road. Yeah. But, Steve, I want you to hang in there. Okay? <laughs> I want you to hang in there. I mean, again, Waylon Francis, that was also, yeah. that was also on the training park. Um, so this last week, it's, it's Victor, Waylon, Harry, Chad, Ramon Torres. That's some that's some They can pieces, help you. Yeah, they right? can help you. Yeah, that's absolutely. some pieces. Yeah. So hang in there. We'll be yeah. all right. And, and who knows about additions this mm-hmm. summer. Yeah. Uh, we'll make, I think we'll make another playoff run. Yeah. I really do. Right there with you, MJ. Um, always a pleasure. Steven, good to talk to you. Thanks for joining us and look forward to seeing you in Russia. Thank you. And uh, if this doesn't happen again the rest of the year, I've really enjoyed myself. (laughs) You'll be back. Okay. Okay. I'll write that down. There you have it. That's MJ. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more on Winging It with Zakoani. Christian crosses into the box. A loose ball. Another one. Will Bruin picks it up as Noah guards it from Minnesota. The ball from Christian. Will Bruin knocks it in. It's 2-0 in the 25th. And welcome back. This is Winging It with Zakuani. Thanks again to MJ. Always fun um, talking all things Sounders with that guy. So much energy. And I really do agree with him that it's probably going to be a lot more downs before we get all the way up. But at some point, this team should turn it around and hopefully make a strong push for the playoffs. Some questions. This was a tough one, and I did think about this. And I might get it wrong. I might have to change it six or seven times. But the question was, what would be your dream team starting 11 with all previous and current Sounders players in the MLS era? That's tough. That's very, very tough. Because I can already think of two or three goalkeepers who could have made it. Definitely a couple of right-backs that I played with. I don't even know what to do with the centre-backs, the forwards. It's a tough one. I can attempt to answer it. I'm going to be wrong and want to come back to it. But I will go with Casey Keller in goal. At right-back, I'm going to cop out because it's a toss-up between DeAndre and James Riley. But I'll give it to James Riley just because I played with him longer. And when I played with DeAndre, he's at the start of his career. Centre-backs, 
I've, I mean, Jeff Park's one of the best ones I played with. Tyrone Marshall, John Kennedy Hurtado, those first couple of years was a beast. It's, that one's hard. That, any two of those three, I'd probably say. Left back, Leo Gonzalez. Played with him so many games. Most of my games were actually with him. Um, centre mid, Ozzy and Brad Evans in the middle. Right midfield, <sighs> Mauro Rosales. I want to say San Anayasi, but I go Mauro Rosales. Left midfield, uh, I can't pick myself. Um, so left midfield, <laughs> let's go. Alvaro Fernandez, maybe in his first spell. Um, but maybe Lamar Nego is what's a tough one. And then up top has to be Oba and Eddie Johnson. Oh, man, that's tough. What about Montero? Oh, man. I, yeah. I'll come back to that one. Great question. I'll come back to that one. Big three things. And whew, these ones are really ones I had to spend t- time thinking about because they, re- they really have been on my mind. I, when I tweet and go on Twitter rants and um, just talk, I, I really am thinking about a lot of things. And these come from that. The first one is fan and player interactions. And what I mean by that is there's an example in the NBA recently with Russell Westbrook, where he's leaving the court. His team just been eliminated 4-1, I think it was, in the playoffs. And a fan gets in his face and then Westbrook responds and taunts the fan back. And, you know, security get involved and they put an end to that. For me, that as a fan, whether it's a rival fan or your own fan, doesn't matter. That's crossing the line. Um, you know, when you verbally taunt a player, I don't care what you say. If you're verbally taunting a player, it's not, you know, because you're a professional athlete that you stop being a human being or you have to have thick skin or whatever that is and that you just got to take it. That's not a part of the job. I think that's crossing the line. What I do agree with, though, is fans having an opinion, supporters having an opinion. I think that's very, very important. They pay good money, essentially pay the player salaries. They should vent, should care, should worry when things are going bad, should express disappointment, should want the club to show ambition, should want players to care, have passion, should want players to come out and explain certain things. They should, absolutely. That I agree with. When the line is crossed for me, in that interaction or being a fan where rationale goes out of the window is when if every time your team loses, the sky is falling. I don't know if I agree with that. And if you look at everything in context with perspective and you say, look, we played a good game. We lost in the 93rd minute of a mistake that won't happen again this season. I don't think that's a cause to go and kind of vent at players. And, and this is obviously always a minority. It's not the majority. That is where I think some players then shy away from social media or they shy away from being too expressive or opinionated because they don't want to say the wrong thing and retaliate. So there's that balance. Because I think if Stephen Fry catches that ball, very few people are going to vent about that performance. Very few, if any. You'd be happy. Three games unbeaten, clean sheet against LAFC with your starting two centre-backs on paper, both not playing. I mean, you take that. And then coming home to a home game against Columbus, things are looking up. That mistake shouldn't switch it so far around 
that now it's the end of the world. That's where that line will be drawn for me. I think the perspective is important to take that game for what it is and then a couple of days later come back and revisit it like we're doing now and say, look, in the context of the season, yeah, that really hurt us. This isn't very good. But the initial five minutes after the final whistle reaction of just how bad it is doesn't warrant what we actually saw on the pitch. The season hasn't been good. I'll get to that. But Sunday was definitely not a cause for doom and gloom. That performance actually should encourage us, if anything, especially defensively. Number two, big spenders. Where should the Sounders be in terms of the big spenders in this league? Does, you know, does spending a certain amount of money as a team, is that what reflects your ambition? This came up a lot because, you know, Garth did an interview and, some people liked what he said. Some people didn't. And of course, I'm going to talk about it. Um, I don't really have that strong of an opinion either way. I'm not in Garth's shoes. I don't do Garth's job. I don't know what the reasons are or aren't for the signings or lack of signings. I don't know. Not really that concerned about that. What I will say, I think the era when the Sounders came into MLS and they spent the way they spent was a different era to what it is now. And this new era of LAFC, of Toronto... New York and I guess the Galaxy is still really up there in terms of that. Probably isn't possible without the Sounders doing what they did on the pitch and off the pitch. I don't necessarily think that spending is the only measure of ambition. I look at Tottenham Hotspur, it pains me to say it, that's my rival, I'm an Arsenal fan, but on a modest budget compared to Man City and Man New, Pochettino's done a fantastic job. You have good coaching, a clear vision. I think you can compensate for not being the biggest spender. You're not going to outspend LAFC. You're not going to outspend Toronto by the looks of it. It doesn't mean you're not spending money. And I think spending money just to spend money, I think if the Sounders did that and bought three or four signings and they were busts, they weren't good, we'll be just as upset. So I think the Sounders will spend money when it makes sense. I think when that signing is available, it's tough in a World Cup year, probably will be post-World Cup when players kind of have a better idea where they're going to be. Players don't want to switch clubs as they're trying to get into the World Cup. So after the World Cup, if the signing's available, that checkbook will be open and they'll sign someone, I'm sure. I'd love to see a replacement for Oba, even for Jordan Morris, for this year, but I don't think the Sounders are not spending due to um, lack of ambition. I think that would be harsh. The ambition's there. It's just in a very different era, different market. You have teams who are going to spend more. That's fine. But that doesn't always correlate to success on the pitch. Number three, is it time to panic? My answer is yo. That's yes and no. That's my answer. Now, Jordan Morris, I think, had two goals last year. Some people were saying Jordan should be benched. Not many, the minority. Some people were saying he's having a sophomore slump, or this is who he really is. The rookie year was an outlier. Do you miss Jordan yet? Because I do. As I said earlier, having that type of speed opens up so many possibilities for other players there's a reason Freddie Montero loved playing with me and I loved playing with Freddie Freddie loved to work underneath 
And I knew when he checks for the ball and the defenders follow him, because you can't let him turn. He's going to shoot from 50 yards, top corner. That's what he could do. That's time for me to run in behind. He used to create so much space for me to run in behind because he'd come deep. And then he knew that if Zaquani takes off, that back line is dropping. They're scared of his speed in behind. So they're going to drop. And then that does what? It gives Freddie the room underneath to work. We worked well together like that. Right now, the Sounders don't have that option. It has to be underneath. Because with all due respect, if Wilburin takes off running, doesn't set alarm bells ringing in, in that defense, like if Jordan Morris takes off running, one has speed, one doesn't. One has real, real speed, Jordan Morris. So yes, it's time to panic in the sense of I'm sitting here right now trying to figure out the best way for this team to attack and I'm struggling. In the past, the Sounders have been able, and I say the past as recently as last season, to attack in multiple ways. I'll give you an example. One way was Nico Lodero starts on the right-hand side. He comes inside. He plays very close to Clint Dempsey. They play a couple of one-twos. The defenders collapse on them. And then it's Jovan Jones streaking on the left-hand side, playing the ball in behind. He's now behind the back line. And he was so good, so very good at finding the open man in the box. And he got better at that the longer he was here. But then the Sounders would score so many goals that way. That's one way they would attack. That's two ways they would attack. Inside and also go outside. Other ways the Sounders have attacked in the past. Oba and Clint. Straight up the middle. They had the ability to find each other up the middle. And if it ever got clogged up, they'd play it wide to Lamar Nego or to Marco Papa. And they'd have that option. Those guys would do their thing at wide. Right now it's tough to say because I think the Sounders' only option really is to play a narrow game because there's not much width. Don't have any real true wingers ready to be difference makers right now. There's no one on that roster who on Saturday is a winger. Get out there, destroy the right back, destroy the left back. Not going to happen right now. Alex Rodan will do a job. Handwala will do a job. But they wouldn't be in the elite wingers category right now. Could get there. So you're really forced to play just down the middle. And down the middle now, you're asking, will bring Clint Dempsey and Nico? Clint's 35 years old. Father time is undefeated. Clint Dempsey is special. He will pull off moments of magic. I'm convinced he's going to get his this year. He'll still get his goals. But he's also 35. He's got to manage his body differently during games, out of games. Um, throughout the week, the way he trains probably has had to change. And he just can't do what you once could do that often. That's just the reality of being an athlete. Nico now gets two or three defenders every time he gets the ball. World Bruins game isn't to playmake. So even the, and Victor Rodriguez isn't on the pitch. So the underneath game now suffers. So the Sounders' best chances really are coming from crosses that Tyler Miller dropped, which you can't count on, or kind of just trying to force their way and freestyle their way once they get in and around the 18-yard box. That's... A cause for concern, I would say. Defensively, no worries whatsoever. Attacking-wise, panic, yes. Defensive, no. That's why the yo. It's both. But attacking-wise, yeah. I, I, I'll be honest, because if there's no help coming now and you've got to go with this squad through the World Cup, this is what you have. There are answers within the squad, but just as of right now, haven't seen too many clear ideas or indications this is how we'll attack. My solution... You have to ask Nuhu and Kelvin Ledam 
to work double duty. And what I mean by that is they need to be as good as they've been defensively at times, like they were at the weekend. Keep clean sheets, but also be your wits. They need to go almost every time the sound is attacked. You need width because if they take off, then they occupy the other team's outside backs. Those guys stay wide. And now Clint, Will Bruin, Nico do have some room to work underneath against less defenders. If Leedam and Nuhu aren't going, then all four defenders on the opposing team can focus on Clint, Nico and Bruin. And Alex, they're all marked. That's the only solution I can think of right now. The width has to come from the outside backs and it has to really, really come from the outside backs. Because with no width, it's going to be tough to break the good teams down. That's what I've got time for. Wish we could get into more, but we will be back um, next week. Hopefully, after a great performance and three points against the Columbus crew with three goals coming from wide areas to show I don't know what I'm talking about. I, I hope I'm wrong. This has been Winging It with Zakwani. Thanks for sending in your questions. As always, leave your comments, your feedbacks. Love the interactions. And I'll be back next week to speak with you. I'm Steve Zakwani. This has been Winging It with Zakwani.